What's up, everyone? This is Trey Van Camp, and you are listening to the Ministry Podcast. Open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 1. What we're doing this Christmas is I, I always like to, um, for the Christmas season, it's hard as a preacher because I have to preach the same thing every year, right? Hey guys, guess what? He was born in a manger and you're shocked, right? And then I have, so I try to get creative and what really has worked the best for my soul is realizing not how did Jesus come, but why did Jesus come? That's what kind of gets my, my heart excited, thinking, wow, King Jesus is so good. This is why he came. This is why I need him. And that's what I want to look at uh, today. In John 1, we looked at last week, Jesus is the life. Without Jesus, friends, we don't have life. But we're going to look at this week is the next thing is Jesus is light. In John 1, verses 3, you don't have to go there. We're going to jump in First John. But it says, In Jesus was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. Jesus came to a dark world, shines a bright light, and the darkness cannot overcome the light that we have. And guess what? That light, if you believe in Jesus today, is in you and is in me. And that's the hope we have. So when I went to Israel, I always talk about it when Shelby's here. Hi, Shelby. And every time you're here, I'm like, I'm going to talk about Israel. <laughs> but every time during Christmas time, I really think of Israel because that's when I went. And so what's really uh, cool, when I went there, they were kind of explaining all these different festivals. And if you read the Old Testament, you realize the Jewish people love to celebrate. And I love that. I love that a lot of people think Old Testament is so, oh, it's just wrath and it's just boring. No, there's incredible stories in there. And actually God put forth, hey, my Jewish, the, the Israelite nation, you're going to have a lot of celebrations celebrating my covenant faithfulness to you. And so one of the celebrations that I learned about when I was in Israel is called the Feast of Tabernacles. It's in your Bible. And this Feast of Tabernacles is always in the eighth month of the Jewish calendar. Now, the Jewish calendar is different than our calendar. That's why every year on Easter, it's like, how come it was in April? Now it's in March. You know what I'm saying? It's because we have a different calendar. But for us, it usually occurs, the Feast of Tabernacles is around mid uh, September to October, somewhere around in that range. It's usually when it falls. And, and I hate to break it to you, but I'm one of those guys. I believe that Jesus was not born on Christmas day. Okay. Hate to break it to you. We just decided, Hey, December 25th is a great day. But uh, the reality is it was likely, this is what I believe that Jesus was born during the feast of tabernacles sometime in mid September or mid October. Anybody's just mind blown right now. So if your birthday is December 25th and you've bragged your whole life that you have the same birthday as Jesus, I am so sorry. It's not true, <laughs> okay? Here's why I believe it's Feast of Tabernacles. I believe he was born then because the Feast of Tabernacle, tabernacle literally means God came down and dwelt among his people. To tabernacle shows that God showed his presence to the people. So, so this Feast of Tabernacles, let me give you some context. It, what it is, they did this every year, and it celebrated how God delivered the people. You guys remember Prince of Egypt? Anybody? That movie? Isn't that sad? I, I don't say the book of Exodus. I say, you remember Prince of Egypt? <laughs> so he takes the people out of crosses over the, the Red Sea, and now they're in this wilderness. This is what they're celebrating. They're celebrating the fact that while they were in the wilderness, God provided for them. While they were in the wilderness, God showed them the light and a path to keep going. So there's three things they would do in the Feast of Tabernacles, and I think it's really important for the context of this message. It's all going to make sense. Number one, it's kind of like Christmas. They would decorate their homes. Every year during the Feast of Tabernacles, they would, take, they would make these wooden shelters and put them on the roof of their house. 
And what they would do is it would, it would insinuate this is a temporary shelter and the people of Israel would live for seven days. The Feast of Tabernacles lasted for seven days and they would live in these wooden shelters. Why? Remembering that God provided for them, even though their home was only temporary, they kept wandering in the wilderness. And so they wanted to relive that, remember God's faithfulness, and they would live in a temporary home by putting a wooden house above their house. They didn't have two stories back then, okay? So it's not like it was really hard to build a house on top of their house. The second thing they would do consistently every day, the priest would go to the, the Pool of Siloam. Uh, this is actually where, one place where Jesus healed the blind man, and they would take water. The priest would get the water, and they'd go to the Ark of the Covenant. They would go into the, the, tab, the, the presence of God, and they would pour water on the side of the altar. And this was actually showing, they were saying, thank you, God, that you provided water. If you know some of the story, it's not in Prince of Egypt, but um, when, when the Israelites are really mad and they're discouraged and they're thirsty, they're about to die, Moses takes the staff and he hits this rock and out of that rock flows abundance of water and it completely fills up the entire nation of Israel. Everyone is now no longer thirsty. So they're remembering that by saying, okay, God, you gave us water. We're going to take the water we have and dump it. There was a third thing they did, and this was my favorite thing. This is what I love to, to talk about. What they would actually do, I only have two because that's all my grandma had, but uh, who has candelabras? This is called a candelabra. Um, I think it's cool if you have one. I, do, I have one right now, <laughs> but my grandma wants it back. <laughs> okay, so what they would have is four candelabras. A lot of people, the Jewish nations love to do this, like the menorah during the Hanukkah. Well, during the, the Feast of Tabernacles, they would take four candelabras, and what they would do is they would light them up the whole seven days of the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, they did this because if you remember in the Prince of Egypt, I'm done with that, but if you remember, while they're wandering in the wilderness, they wander because God continued to show them where to go next. And how did he tell them how to go next? By day, it was, cl it was cloud by day, but then fire by night. And so they wanted to remember that fire, that in the midst of the darkness, even though it, they didn't know where they were, they were in a wilderness season, literally, God showed them light and it was enough to know that his presence was with us and it was a path to go. If we just follow this fire, it will lead us to the promised land. So every year during the Feast of Tabernacles, they take these four candelabras, they position them in Jerusalem to where everyone in the whole city can look from where they're at and they can see the candles burning. And they would, they would put these up and they would say, this is God's Shekinah glory. This is God's glory made evident among us. And this is what we're celebrating for Christmas, amen? That God came down to us and he was present with us. Here's what's cool about John chapter eight. I know we're in first John one, but I'm getting more context, John chapter eight. John chapter eight, what we have is he's coming. If you read John seven, I, I encourage you with this. This week, I decided to read the whole book of John in one sitting. It was so good for my soul. I encourage you, during this Christmas season, choose a day this week and just start in John 1 and go all the way through. It'll be good for your soul. But as I was reading this, in John 7, it shows it's the Feast of Tabernacles. But then in John 8, as it begins, it shows that the Feast of Tabernacles just ended. Now it's the eighth day. And they're humans, just like us. Who, who in here has Christmas lights in their house and they take it off the night of Christmas, right? Who does that? Nobody. If you do, you have issues, right? No. But, and so what they would do is you have to realize when Jesus is now here, he's at the scene where the candelabras were, where they were lit. Now they aren't lit. 
They are just candles there with no light. And Jesus goes and approaches. And in John 8, 12, he looks at the candles with no light. And he looks at all the people just celebrated this whole festival of lights. And he says, I am the light of the world. This upset a lot of people. This made a lot of people upset. In fact, they tried to stone him, but Jesus was able to escape. Why were they so mad that Jesus would say, okay, look at those empty candles. I'm here to show you I am the real light. I am not only the light of Israel, but I am the light of the world. The remainder of our time, I want us to look at, John was obsessed with this word imagery of Jesus being the light. He is the light of the world. There's so many things we can just look at light and study and realize, wow, that really does point to Jesus. One of my science friends, he told me, this is what's really cool about light. And I'm like, all right, I'm ready for it. This is a good sermon. He says, light has a dual nature. This is free, by the way. Totally not part of the sermon. But light has a dual nature. Are you pumped I mentioned that, Doc? Okay. Light has a dual nature of particles and waves. Jesus has a dual nature. Fully God, fully man. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he is pointing to the duality of, oh, that's so good. All the science people are like, yeah. Everybody's like, I don't care. Okay. I do. Yeah, you do. Uh, okay. I need to be on your good side, Doc. Okay. I like calling him Doc. He is a doc, Dr. Grimm, so I'm going to call you Doc from here on out. Decided that today. Now, for the remainder of our time, <laughs> there's going to be three ways that what does light do for us and how does that mean for you in your life in 2018, coming into 2019? Light creates a path. That's the first thing. We're going to look at that. The other thing is light shows his presence. The last thing is light gives us peace. And that's what we see here in 1 John chapter 1. Let's start in verse 5. 1 John 1 verse 5, it says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. Why is it important that Jesus is the light of the world? There is no other way to see where we're going. Jesus gives us a path, a direction. We're able to walk, and guess what? When you walk, you have to know what's coming next. Growing up, you guys know this, I constantly think I'm going to go blind, even though the doctor assured me I will not be going blind, at least not in the next five months. And so uh, with my, no? Okay, so seriously, I, I have floaties, and it's a big thing. And I remember growing up, I would go into my living room, and I would close my eyes and try to walk through my living room to see if I was ready to be a blind person. And so I would always trip over something. I'm pretty sure Shay knew this exercise, so she'd always put Legos somewhere. Something. It was always a disaster. And, and then I realized, though, I'm like, okay, I'm not even good at my living room. But when you live life, you're going to always see new things, right? You're, it's not like you're going to live your whole life in your living room. Um, and so I realized this is a hard gig. I am not ready for this. And it's one of the things I'm most fearful of. It's like my biggest fear. But realizing this and thinking, a lot of us, if we, I believe it because God's word says so. Guys, if we try to live our life without Christ at the center, without God's word directing our path, it is the same thing as if you're walking somewhere with your eyes closed and just hoping for the best and you're not going to walk over a cliff. Honestly, I see people and those who aren't following Jesus and I have so much compassion and love for them. But I feel so bad for them because I know you don't know where you're going. 
It's just as good as closing your eyes and hoping for the best. But I love that Jesus is light. Because Jesus has come down to this earth, we no longer need to wander. We have a direction. It says here, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light. Conversely, a commentator says, walking in the dark is to walk as if there is no God. Walking in the light is saying, okay, God, you are the one who directs my steps. One of our favorite verses as a family is Proverbs 19.21. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. I have so much hope in that scripture. Here's my question, though. How do we know that Jesus is directing our path? How does he do that? How does he do that even though he came 2,000 years ago and he rose again? What does that mean for us? This is point number one. So good. Jesus gives direction by guiding our affection. How does he direct our path? How do we know which way is the right way? How do I know which way is left or right? How do I know that God wants me to take this job? Here's what it is. Jesus, during his lifely ministry, he says, follow me. Those who try to find their life will lose it, but those who lose their life for my sake will find it. What is he saying? I, he doesn't, I believe he doesn't care where you live, honestly. I don't think he really cares. I mean, he loves you and he's happy for you, but I don't think he, I don't think because you took that job, he's like, I'm done with you. But what I believe, what he cares more about, not about where you go, but who you're going with. Jesus is saying, you need to realize I am better than this world. And if you realize everything you're doing is because you love me, your path will continue to take you in all the right places. But what's scary is all the pleasant things of this world, we start to think that is better. The pleasant things, the gifts of this world, that, is, that deserves my affection. That, that is what's going to give me hope. When you start doing that, when you start thinking that somebody, somebody or someone outside of Jesus will give you your purpose... That's when that thing becomes a really, really bad thing and leads you down a path of destruction. Our biggest mistakes in life, I believe, are when we are chasing after other people's acceptance and other people's affirmation. When Jesus is saying, run after me, you are accepted. I died for you. When you see that, the, the criticism of this world doesn't crush you. The praise of this world doesn't puff you up. Be able to love and serve people. That's what God has done for us. I think it's so, so good. I was also saying this to my wife this week on my, my podcast. We we're talking about how God's direction in life, it's kind of like headlights. We, we expect God, we're supposed to turn on our headlights and we're supposed to see from point A all the way to Z. We're supposed to see our end destination. What God does is he directs us by just showing 20 yards ahead. And it's your job to be faithful and say, okay, God, I'm going to run after you. I love you. You are the light. I'm going to keep following you. And this opportunity comes. Okay, great. That's what I see now. I don't know what's going to happen in 10 years, but this is what I see now. I'm going to take that step. Then God shows you the next step and the next step and the next step. That's how God directs your paths. And you need a light to know where you're going. And Jesus is saying, I am that light. So in your decisions you're making, are you saying, okay, Jesus, are you the forefront? Is my decision emphasizing God time? Or does this make me no longer have time alone with you, God? Is this decision consistently making sure that I am with gather time, that I am with God's people? If the decision I made takes me away from God's people, I fear for your soul. That is a hard life to live. So direct your affections back to him and make those types of decisions. As the decisions you're making, making where you can't have any group time, where you're not with other Christians walking through life, your life's going to get a whole lot harder and a whole lot darker. Okay, but I need to move on. Okay, not only does light show a path, Light also shows his presence. 
Verse, um, verse 6 again, it says, If we say we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light, look, as he himself is in the light, here it is, we have fellowship. Fellowship with one another, we also saw earlier in verses, um, verses 3, fellowship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Light gives us fellowship with God and fellowship with man. And this is actually one of the greatest blessings. Life, why does Jesus say I'm the light of the world? Because there's no other way to live in community. Jesus brings that light, keeps us from isolation. Quickest lesson I learned, um, my dad has very evil humor. Uh, And so when we go hunting, his sole job is to help me get a a deer, which I finally got one. And the second thing is to scare the living you-know-what out of me. Okay, and so... I remember um, this last time, I thought I was so brilliant. I actually, I Googled it online and I bought this light uh, before I even went. Guys, this light, I won't shine at you, I'll shine at me, I'll, I'll make me suffer. This thing's bright. You ready? It gets, it, it gets super bright. I mean, this thing like at night, I mean, it's, there you go. Okay, right? Bright. All right. And so um, I remember I was like, dad, you're not gonna mess with me this year. I'm bringing this. And so anytime at night, I would just... Hey, Dad, how you doing? And I'd look everywhere and do all this stuff. Well, one night, I'm serious. My dad has this humor, right, Shay? And so one night, I was walking. We, were, we went uh, to a restaurant and was walking distance of our camp. And so I was with my grandpa, and I thought, surely my dad will not jump out of anywhere because it's my, he's 81 years old. <laughs> you know, like, let's be thoughtful here. And so we were walking, and my dad always runs ahead. He never waits for anybody. And so he was gone. And so me and my grandpa, we're, like, talking about life. It was, like, one of the greatest moments, right? We're talking when all of a sudden he jumps out of the bush. I freak out. I'm so mad. It was the one time I didn't bring my stinking light, right? And he was so, he was so happy. Pray for him, guys. He, he was like, that isn't good. I'm like, Dad, you could have killed Grandpa. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's not even a joke. Jeez, man. I had to, like, pick him up off the ground. No, not really. But, guys, life is scary without a flashlight, right? Light shows us what's around. It gives us presence. And life is so hard. If you don't recognize that God is with you, it's hard to keep going the next day. Verses uh, 3 and 7 say, we have fellowship with God and one another. Write this down. It's not in your notes, but I think this is really important. Do you know there is a way to follow God but not have fellowship with him? There is a way to follow God but not have fellowship with God. One pastor, Agent Rogers, says, the most miserable person on this earth is not the non-believer. The most miserable person on this earth is the Christian who is not actually in fellowship with God. Who's yeah, yeah, I follow God, I'm going to heaven, but you're living your life in the darkness? You're miserable. Come back to the light. Takes confession. We see that here in this text, but it's so, so worth it. Here's the actual point. I think it's really good. The power of his presence must be practiced in the present. I want you to think about that. This is, if those who've grown up in the church, you, you, you follow Jesus for a while, this one is really, really hard. Here, here's what I mean. Jesus, when he came and he saw the candles and, and he says, I am the light of the world. And if you remember in Exodus, Prince of Egypt again, what does God say? What does Moses say? He says, Moses, who are you? And he says, I am who I am. What does that mean? He says, I am. That means past, present, future always was and always is and always will be. I will always. And so when Jesus says, I will always be the light of the world, ever present, ever going, omnipresent, everywhere. I am the light of the world. What does that mean for us? It means God's light is always present to us, but how come we sometimes don't feel it? 
this light, what's really cool about it is it gets really bright. It's, it's actually, honestly, for my vlog. Uh, and so what I do with it is certain settings. It can go kind of low, but then if I really want it to be bright, I can crank this thing up, right? Now, here's what's hard about this. I can't see you, number one. But, but look, a lot of us in our Christian life, we think this. We think, okay, God, it's been a while. I'm going to go to camp. I'm going to go to the conference. And I'm not just going to see some of you. I'm going to crank this light up. I'm going to get all of you, baby. I'm going to spend all day. I'm going to be praying. I just fasted in October. Like, boom, right? Like, you're, I, I, I'm very fearful. You remember that whole blind thing? This is not a good practice for me. But, but here's what a lot of us think. We think, okay, because yesterday you should have seen it. I was with God. I saw him in a huge and mighty way. I couldn't even open my eyes. God's light was just huge. But if you wake up the next day and this light is off, it doesn't matter how bright it was yesterday. That light doesn't help you today. You see that? Just because I cranked it up doesn't make it an everlasting, ever going. If I turn it off, it's off. When it comes to the presence of God, if we are not constantly and consistently coming back to God saying, God, I need you. I need your presence. I don't want to do this without you today. That's why we say every day we want you to have God time. We want you to approach the throne and say, God, without you, I am nothing. Without you, it's just darkness. I'm depressed. I'm discouraged. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know where other people are. I feel alone. I feel isolated. There's no community around me. That's why he says, turn on this light every single day. Listen, the power of his presence must be practiced in the present. Just because you felt his presence yesterday, that's great. But there's new tender mercies every single morning. If you don't access those things, past faithfulness doesn't secure a promised future. Just because you loved him yesterday doesn't mean tomorrow will be a better day. The way God works is you need to be pursuing him every single day. So my question to you is, do you have a fresh word from God? One of the things when I was at CBU, every week I had mentors and disciples and all this stuff, and we'd always ask the question, what is God teaching you this week? And what's hard is if you have somebody in your life that consistently asks you that question, eventually they'll sniff out. If you say the same answer, my friends are like, no, bro, that's what you said the last four weeks. God has to be teaching you something new. What is God teaching you this week? Guess what? I don't know if, what God's teaching me if I'm not pursuing him. If I'm not in the light, I, I fear. I, I have friends that always mention this great Bible study they had five years ago that changed their life. Awesome. But what did you do this last five days? Not every experience is huge mountaintop experience where everything changes, but there has to be. God wants to show you new words today. God doesn't want you to rely on what he showed you 10 years ago. Do you have a fresh word from God or do you feel empty? Do you feel like it's dark? Do you feel depressed and discouraged? Have you been pursuing him? Honestly, that's my passion. I want you to know. I want you to think this through. Because here's the promise we know. It wasn't God who left. It was you who left. Because God's light. He says, I am the light of the world. I am ever, always have been, always is, always will be shining bright. So if you aren't experiencing his light, it's because you turn, not him. But you know what's so great? We can turn right back to him. Let's look at verse 8 just to prove that. Verse 8, I love it. It gives me so much hope. We say, it says, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Whoo, that's encouraging, right? So this Christian thing, it's not about being perfect. Verse 9 is my favorite. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous 
to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All. All means all, and that's all all means, right? All unrighteousness. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word are not in us. If, if we have not sinned, that means Jesus came for no reason is what he's saying here. But ver- chapter two, people, I hate the whole chaptering system because y'all are, me- Yo, I read one chapter. Keep going. Chapter two is so good. Look, my little children, John's old here. He's like 90. He's the only apostle who wasn't killed. Uh, he just died a natural death, although he lived in torment in the island of Patmos. He was isolated. It was kind of like Alcatraz, but that's another message another day. He says, my little children, I am writing you these things so that you may not sin. Don't you love when older people are like, hey, kid. It's like, I'm 30. I got three kids. How you doing, kid? Okay, that, that's what John's doing here. Okay, going back. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Why did he come? Look, he himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. <laughs> you guys see that? Look, Jesus has come to be our sacrifice, and he advocates with the Father. He's the one. He's like a lawyer. He goes to the Father and says, no, this, per- this man, this woman, he believes in me. He is no longer sinned. His right, he is completely righteous. Why is light so important? The last one, light gives us peace. We don't have to wonder, does somebody seeing what we're doing right now? It's so important because, guys, if Jesus wasn't the light of the world for us, there is no other way to live with courage. Light has a way of keeping us from guilt. I spent a lot of time this week in my journal praising God that I don't have to live a guilt-full life. It's hard to have joy during this Christmas season when you have guilt. It's hard to really enjoy anything if you are, have guilt. What we have in John 1, we won't go there, but it's actually showing a word picture here that the people of God did not accept Jesus being the light because they got so used to the dark. It was like they were just living in underground. Have you guys ever do this? like coming out of a movie, right? And you open the doors and now it's so bright and you're like, how am I going to get to my car? This is what happens when Jesus came into this world this Christmas season. He comes and it is so bright and so different than what we're used to. We turn away from him. Because it's weird. We kind of get used to our guilt. We get used to our filth. We kind of get comfortable hiding in the darkness. But this Christmas season, we have hope because Jesus is the light. And what does that mean for us? This is the last point. We can come to God without disgrace because Jesus came to take our place. That is the hope we have. That's why we say, joy, wait, no, uh, Jimmy wants me to do the, joy to the world, the Lord has come. I'm trying to go, let earth receive, no. Um, How can we sing this? Why is it joy to the whole world? Because without Jesus, we have disgrace. We We don't want to look at him. We don't want to talk about him. We don't want to go to church. We feel bad. You don't know what I've been through. But he said, we're all terrible. <laughs> but Jesus is our advocate and he took our place. So when God looks at me, he thinks I am just as righteous as Jesus. That trips me out. I know when Jesus was baptized and, and he was lifted up out of the water, what does God say? This is my son with whom I am well pleased. 
because of Christmas, because of Jesus, I know that God looks at me and says, this is my son with whom I am pleased. Not because, ask my wife, I got issues. But it's because Jesus is righteous for me. And he advocates for me. And Jesus goes to the Father and says, that guy's perfect. You know how I'm perfect? That guy's perfect. And I wish my wife would learn that. I'm perfect. I'm just kidding. Nothing I do is wrong. (laughs) But that's how God looks at us. That's the courage we have. Why? How does God create that? You can write this down. Jesus makes it possible to be truly known and fully loved at the very same time. If Jesus didn't come to this earth, it would be impossible for me to know you truly with the light completely on, knowing there's no darkness. I see everything you've ever done in the dark. And yet me still fully love you? That's impossible without Christ. But with Christ, we can say, we can confess our sins. Yes, this is everything I've done. It's very embarrassing. This is the stuff I thought nobody would ever find out about. But you know what? I'm kind of okay with that. Because I know that I'm not going to be punished for that. In fact, I'm now righteous. I'm not, that's not who I am anymore. God has redeemed that. He has taken that stain and he's wiped it as white as snow. Amen? That we don't know what that is. But white as snow. Look it up on my blog. I videoed it once. It's very white. He's redeemed us. That's the hope that we have. See, our world only knows truly known and not loved. This is why so many marriages are, lead to destruction because you start to actually know your spouse. You know, people, when they're in the engagement process, they're incredible. But the second you put a ring on it and the ceremony's done, they just turn into something, right? It's like, I'm no longer wearing makeup the rest of my life. You know, and so it just turns into this thing and people get so discouraged. I'm not, pe- babe, you don't need makeup. You know, but I gotta be careful here. We get so discouraged because like, that's not what I signed up for, right? That's why so many marriages go because it's like, oh, now I actually know you and I don't love you because I don't like what I see. But a lot of people in this world today, we want to be fully loved and we're so obsessed with being loved that we never reveal who we are. I want you to love me, so I'm going to be whoever you want me to be. You know what's wrong with that? You know it's not true love. When you have those relationships and you're so thankful that they love you, but you're like, you only love this version of me. You don't know who I am. In the gospel, why did Jesus come? To shine the light and it exposes our darkness. But there's something so brilliant about it. While he shows us the guilt, he also shows us his grace. While we see the guilt of our sin and how nasty it is, he also shows the grace of the Savior and shows that I have covered it. You are clean. You are pure. I have redeemed you. And this is what I want to give you an encouragement. We'll be done. See, God is looking at our world today, this Christmas season. And he sees a whole lot of candelabras. No, this is the way to live. This is the path, guys. I figured it out. 90-day workout, right? Now everybody will love you. No, vegan, man. This is the way to live. This is it, man. Let's save all the chickens, right? I I mean, I think vegans, whatever. I'm going to get in trouble here. But this is it. No, 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 no. This religion, this is the right way. It's all about do's and don'ts. It's all about, man, you're doing it wrong. You've got to be a better person. No, 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 no. It's all about living your life. Go to as many parties as possible. Get married as late as possible because women are chains, right? You know, again, this isn't what I say, right? But they, oh, just live your life. It's all about travel vlogs and tell the world how good. It's all about creation. And enjoy. I'm not trying to make fun, but I am. But, but like these things, we think this is the hope of the world. And like Jesus on the eighth day of the Feast of Tabernacles, he's looking at us and saying, You have the candelabras, but you have no candle. 
You think you've figured out this concoction to hold the light. But guess what? Without me, there is no light. Friends, in your life, without Jesus, there is no path. Without Jesus, you won't feel God's presence. Without Jesus, there's no peace. You're constantly looking over your shoulder. You're constantly wondering, did they see that? You're constantly wondering, will that person ever find me out? Because then that relationship will be over. We're holding these things up thinking, I got to fake it. I got to figure out the right way. This is the right way to live. And Jesus, in John 8 says, remember that rock that was struck when Moses did that and the water poured forth? Jesus goes, I am that rock. I'm going to be struck, but from me, you will never thirst again. Jesus, he goes and he sees all the people in the, 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 those made up, those wooden shelters. He says, no, that, that, that was actually pointing to something bigger. See, Jesus is saying, I, here on earth, I don't have a home. I, I don't have a shelter. I go, I don't have a place to lay my head. But I'm doing that because when I go to the Father, I am preparing a place for you, a place of many mansions, so that when you believe in me and you die from this earth, you will have a place to live. And it'll be a promised land flowing with life and abundance. Jesus is saying, see those lights, see those candles you're holding in your hands, see this? I am the light of the world. And friends, what's so great about the light, all he's doing, he's asking us to step into it. He's not asking us to figure out how to turn on the light. He is the light. What he's asking us to do is to confess our sins, to just get rid of the filth, step into the light and say, Jesus, I don't have this thing figured out. I can't do it. I don't know what my next day is supposed to look like. I don't have any peace. But Jesus, I believe you give those things and I believe you're the light and you're going to show me the way. So God, I'm laying down my life before you today saying, Jesus, will you be my light? Will you be my Lord? Will you save me from this darkness? And right there, just like the switch of a light, Jesus will save you and redeem you and call you his own. Will you believe in him?